I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me once again to the book of Galatians. Today we begin chapter 2. Our sermon series is called The Truth of the Gospel. Because that is the very thing that was at stake. So far, we've made it through three messages on chapter 1, and what have we seen? We've seen a group of churches who were in extreme danger of losing the truth of the gospel of grace. And we've seen an apostle who pulled out his strongest words to try to rescue these churches from this perilous outcome. Some bad guys had infiltrated the churches in the region of Galatia and have spread a false teaching that threatens to undo all of the good work of the gospel that Paul and Barnabas and his team had started when they had planted those churches on his missionary journey. And these bad guys have apparently been bad-mouthing Paul himself. They have been saying that Paul's gospel was faulty. That Paul's gospel was derived and distorted. Derived from the apostles in Jerusalem. And distorted because Paul was leaving out some important bits about the law of Moses. So Paul has picked up his pen to set the record straight. We saw last week that Paul is insisting that his gospel did not come from men. It did not come from other humans or even from Paul himself. Look back at chapter 1, verse 11. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Remember that? That's the main point of this whole section. Last week, Paul told his story. How he used to try to destroy the church. And miraculously, now he was preaching the gospel he once tried to destroy. That's because Jesus Christ had met him on the road to Damascus and had changed his direction 180 degrees. He didn't get his gospel from some mere mortal. He hadn't been searching for a new gospel. He'd been head upside the head with one. He got his gospel straight from Jesus Christ himself. So he didn't need for his gospel to be confirmed by those who were apostles before him. He didn't go to Jerusalem when he got the gospel. In fact, he went out to Arabia for three years. He did visit Jerusalem once after those three years, but only for 15 days. And he only met with Peter and James during that time. Paul is not dependent and his gospel is not dependent on Jerusalem. Does that make sense? That's what he's trying to show to these Galatian Christians. He's saying, don't listen to whatever story those troublemakers are telling you. In today's words, it's fake news. Paul says, my gospel is straight from Jesus and not dependent on the apostles in Jerusalem. Now in today's text, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2, Paul is still making that same point. But now he's going to tell us about another visit that he made to Jerusalem. And this time, 
he really did lay out his gospel and have it compared to the gospel being preached by the apostles in Jerusalem. We'll find out it's James, Peter, and John especially. This was not to submit his gospel to a test to see if it was in fact true. He knew it was. But it was to avoid any division between the various apostles on the gospel itself. And while they were having this meeting, there arose an important test case that confirmed Paul's gospel and confirmed that Paul's gospel was the exact same gospel of Peter, James, and John. And that it was the exact same gospel that he had preached to the Galatians that had birthed their churches. And it was the exact same gospel that he wanted those Galatian Christians to stick to and not depart from. And it's the exact same gospel that we believe here today. Let me read this section of Scripture to you. The title of our message is taken right out of verse 5. It's where we get the title from our series as well. So that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. That's the whole point right there. That's the whole shooting match. Let's read Galatians 2, 1 through 10. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to stop whatever else we've been doing, whatever else we've been thinking about, and to focus our attention on Jesus Christ and Him crucified. To focus our attention on the One who is our Savior, our Messiah, our Redeemer, our friend, all those things we we just sang about that came out of our mouth. The One that because we know Him, we can face uncertain days because He lives. Help us, Lord, to see Him in the pages of Your Word to see in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, what this says about Jesus. And to love Him more, and trust Him more, and follow Him more, and to, to love His good news. 
so that the truth of the gospel would remain with us. We pray it in his name. Amen. Did anybody here wake up this morning and thank God that a a guy who lived in the first century named Titus was never circumcised? I didn't think so. But in a few moments, I hope that you are very thankful for that very thing. That a guy named Titus who lived in the first century, a Gentile guy, perhaps of Greek ethnicity, was never circumcised to mark his identification with the God of the Jews. I hope that in a few moments you are very thankful for that very thing. Because, believe it or not, it has a bearing on your life today. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul tells us about the next time he went to Jerusalem. The first time, he only stayed 15 days. And a long time has now passed. But now, God sends Paul back to Jerusalem to have another talk with the apostles about the gospel. Look again at chapter 2, verse 1. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Do you get the picture of what's going on here? Fourteen years later, it's kind of, right? The screen has changed. It's now 14 years later. That's probably 14 years after his conversion on the Damascus Road. Paul is now headed back to Jerusalem for another conference with the other apostles. Who goes with him? Who are the two, at least the two men with him? Barnabas and Titus. Now, that's going to be really important. Barnabas was his friend and co-missionary. These churches in Galatia know him as Paul's partner in the gospel. He'd been through when they planted these churches. And Barnabas was a Jew, like Paul. But this other guy, Titus, was a Greek. That is to say, he was a a Gentile. was another way of saying he was a Gentile. He might have also been Greek. But he was a non-Jew. And these guys were summoned to Jerusalem by whom? Who called them to Jerusalem? Was was it Peter and James and the home office calling Paul in to give an account? No. He says, I went in response to a revelation. Now, we're not quite sure how this fits in with the chronology of the book of Acts. Many scholars believe this is another description of the Jerusalem council that we learned about back in Acts chapter 15. And that's definitely possible. But I tend to think with many other scholars that this is a second account of Paul's visit to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11. And I think it fits better with all the details that we know. It could actually be yet another visit that isn't even in Acts. That's possible as well. Regardless of how it fits with Acts, Paul, Barnabas, and Titus head to Jerusalem. They're on orders from God to lay out their gospel of grace to those in Jerusalem, to make sure that Paul had not been, verse 2, running or had run his race in vain. That does not mean that Paul was worried about his gospel. Ooh, am I teaching the right thing? 
He was worried, but he was worried that there was going to be a split between the good news preached by Peter and the good news he preached, which would have meant a divided church, a divided mission, a split right down the middle of the early church. Do you remember how much, when we were in Romans, how much he was interested in keeping those two together, Jew and Gentile? A contradictory message being promulgated by two different sides, one right and another wrong, and conflict on every side. That's the goal of Satan, by the way. Paul does not want Satan to win. Satan wants to divide the church by dividing up the gospel. Paul does not want Satan to win. So Paul goes to Jerusalem to have a little talk with Peter, James, and John. And while they are there meeting, there's a disruption. There is an interruption. And it threatens to divide them for good. Here's what happened. Some people wanted Titus to get circumcised. Shocking, I know. I know it's hard for us to care because we don't really realize what was at stake. Do you think that Titus should have gotten circumcised or not? Or did it not really matter? You know what circumcision is, right? I don't have to explain that. Good. Well, circumcision among the Jewish people originated in the special covenant God made with Abraham in Genesis, whereby every male child, whether freeborn Israelite or household slave, would be circumcised on the eighth day after birth as a sign of participation in the chosen people of God. Circumcision was incredibly important to the Jews. It had been given by God to them. Right? Marking them out as His own people. It wasn't some whatever thing. But Titus was not a Jew. Hmm. Should Titus get circumcised? Some said no. And some said, you bet. Now you can see why they would say yes, right? In the Old Testament, if a man were going to identify with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he should undergo circumcision. Jesus is the Messiah promised by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if you're going to identify with Him, shouldn't you go all the way? Do you see what's going on? Well, what does Paul say? Paul says, no way Titus gets circumcised. No way. That would be antithetical to the gospel I preach. That's a big deal. The gospel Paul preaches is a gospel of grace. And circumcision added to that gospel becomes a different gospel. Is circumcision bad? No way. But added as a requirement to the finished work of Jesus, it becomes bad. Look at verse 3. Yet not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. Titus said, no way. And nobody convinced him otherwise. This matter arose because, in the providence of God, 
Some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. That was a very important moment in history. Some false brothers. Wow, that's a category, isn't it? False brothers had infiltrated their ranks in Jerusalem to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Now Paul's going to say a lot more about this idea in chapters 3 and 4. We'll get to there later this summer. Freedom in Christ is the, the theme of Galatians. It's often called the freedom letter. And these false brothers were trying to take this freedom away from the churches. Now, they didn't see it that way. Okay? They weren't saying, ooh, I don't like that freedom. I'm going to take it away. But Paul saw this very clearly. Here's the point. The gospel of grace is Jesus plus nothing. That's the equation. The gospel of grace is Jesus plus plus nothing, equals gospel of grace. Faith in Jesus, plus nothing that we do. Nothing we add to it. The only thing we bring to the table is the sin that needs saving from. Jesus brings all of the saving work. And we trust in Him. But these guys, these these false brothers, wanted it to be Jesus, yes, But Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus the law. Jesus plus works of the law. And Paul says, no, that's another gospel. That's what it would have meant if they had made Titus get circumcised. Now, if Titus had wanted to get circumcised for various reasons, that's fine. He can do that. Timothy... Paul's other co-worker was half Greek, half Jew. He got circumcised to not be a stumbling block to the other Jews, but he wanted to. If Titus was made to get circumcised, or you aren't in, it would have amounted to another gospel. Are you glad now that they didn't back down? Here's application point number one of just two this morning. Don't give in to false brothers and a false gospel. Don't give in to false brothers and a false gospel. In fact, that's the whole point of the book of Galatians right there. There will be pressure from others to believe a false gospel. Don't give in. I love the words of verse 5. That's why I made it our, our theme for both the sermon and the whole series. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. With you. Huh. Isn't that interesting? They didn't give in back in Jerusalem so that the gospel might remain with the brothers in Galatia. And that means it remains with the brothers and sisters here in central Pennsylvania. Because Paul and Titus did not give in for a moment, the gospel, the truth of the gospel remains with us. Isn't that interesting? 
Friends, what we do with the gospel matters to others. If we give in on the gospel, it will affect others around us. If I give in on the gospel, it will affect the rest of this church. If you give in on the gospel, it will affect the other people in your life as well. Don't give in. Not even for a moment to false brothers and a false gospel. Do you have a category for false brothers? People who call themselves Christians, but really are not. These people may have a great following. They may be popular. They may be people you love. They may be people who have good things to say in other areas of life. But they have the gospel wrong. And they're saying it wrong and preaching it wrong. And it affects others. Don't allow yourselves to be duped by them. False teaching is real. And it must be countered. It must be defended against. Our freedom is at stake. Our freedom from our sins. Our freedom from Satan. Our freedom in Christ. Now, don't be hasty to call someone else a false brother. Go slow. Be careful. But don't pretend that false brothers don't exist either. There is only one true gospel, and it must be defended at any cost. Even from people who say Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. These guys agreed Jesus is the Messiah. But then they had the wrong way of relating to him. Because if they say Jesus is the Messiah, but you also have to do this, you also have to add this to the basis of your justification. It's Jesus Christ and the Mass. Or Jesus Christ and water baptism. Or Jesus Christ and good works. Or Jesus Christ and a charismatic experience. No. Paul's argument is that nothing, absolutely nothing, can be mingled with Christ as a ground for our acceptance with God. Our hope is built on nothing less and nothing more than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Don't give in to false brothers and a false gospel. Not even for a moment. That's my prayer for Emerson and Grayson and Brigham. That they would grow up knowing this gospel of grace and not turning away from it, not even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. So we know what Paul thought. We know what Barnabas thought. We know what Titus thought. Titus thought, phew, that was a close one. But what did Peter think? What did John think? What did James think? What did these apostles, these Jewish apostles who were headquartered in Jerusalem, think about this gospel that Paul preached? Verse 6. As for those who seem to be important, the recognized leaders in Jerusalem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. Literally, they added nothing to me, Paul says. We had the exact same gospel. 
Peter, James, and John agreed that Titus should not be circumcised. They agreed that the gospel was a gospel of grace from first to last. They agreed that there was no difference between what Paul preached and what they preached. They had the exact same gospel. Notice again how Paul is adamant that his gospel does not depend upon them. Just like he said, I wasn't summoned by them. I went down because God told me. Everything he's been saying for the last couple of weeks. He, he just about says he doesn't care about them at all, doesn't he? What they were means nothing to me. I think that he doesn't, doesn't mean he doesn't care about them as people. Of course he does. And he wants them to agree. But Paul doesn't care what position they have in the eyes of others. You're an apostle. Big whoop. If you have the gospel wrong, you are wrong. See, Paul does not need their approval. I want to learn to live like that. I have a hard time living like that. It is, I like to be liked. I love to be loved. Facebook told me this week that 53,000 people have liked something I've done on Facebook. I'm like, oh, 53,000 people like me. How subtly then I begin to shape everything I do so I get likes. So I get, now you got the love button, right? You're really extra special if you get the love button. I want to learn to live like Paul. He respects these men. He loves them. But he doesn't live for their approval. And he only cooperates with them if they share his gospel. And if they don't, he'll oppose them. We'll see that next time we're in Galatians. He'll oppose them to their face. He doesn't live for their approval, and he doesn't just give his because of their position. What he cares about is the gospel. What he cares about is Jesus Christ. And the good news is that they totally agreed on the good news. Look at verse 7. On the contrary, they, Peter, James, and John, saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The good news is that they totally agreed on the good news. There would be no division in their fellowship, only a division in their labor. The Jerusalem apostles could clearly see that Paul was called primarily to the Gentiles, literally to the uncircumcised. And they could see that Peter the Greek name Cephas there, was called primarily to the Jews, to those who were circumcised. But they could also see that they were going to take the exact same gospel to both groups. They weren't going to say one thing to one and one thing to another. Same gospel, both groups, one church, one mission. The exact same gospel that Paul had preached to the Galatians, the exact same gospel that we preach here at Lance Free Church, the exact same gospel Paul is urging the Galatians not to abandon. The exact same gospel that we should protect and defend and cling to today. Here's point number two and our last one for this morning. 
work in tandem with true brothers in the true gospel. Work in tandem with true brothers in the true gospel. What a great example there is here, isn't it? These men did the careful work of making sure they believed the exact same things about the essentials of the gospel. And then they shook hands on it and divided up the work. I love that expression, the right hand of fellowship. Yes, sir. You see how there's no competition here? There's no Peter versus Paul. We talk about paying Peter, robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? No, there's none of that here. There's no Wendy's versus McDonald's, right? There's no our team versus their team. It's one gospel team. You guys go after those guys. We'll go after those guys. And if you need anything, holler. Does it always work that way? No, it doesn't. In fact, we're going to see how Peter and Paul actually clashed later the next time we're in Galatians together. And it's over the gospel. But on this day, they were together. One gospel team. That's one of the biggest things I love about being part of the EFCA. Tomorrow I'm going to hop a plane to Austin and represent you at EFCA 1. We call it EFCA 1 because there's one gospel that we preach in the EFCA. The exact same gospel. We're not divided on the gospel. We are together. Oh, we have different styles. One person says it one way, another person says it another way. But they're saying, in essence, the exact same thing. We're together. We divide up the work. Some work in missions. Reach global. Those people across the back of your, your uh, on, the, on the wall, in the back of the auditorium here. Some work in cities. Some work in rural areas. We do our gospel work here in central Pennsylvania. But we're together. We work in tandem with true brothers in the true gospel. And of course, that goes way beyond the EFCA as well. Anyone who believes and is living in accord with the true gospel is a true brother. And we are called to work in tandem, not in competition with them. And that includes in our ministries of mercy. I love how Paul ends by saying that after they were sure they preached the same gospel, they also made sure that they were both committed to ministry to the poor. The gospel of grace, when believed, always issues into good works. Remember how... Um, Dave Catanzaro told us that back in February. It's by grace you're saved, by faith. This not of yourselves is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Right? Saved by grace, saved for good works. Just like the Good Samaritans we were ta- Samaritan we were talking about in Sunday school this morning. Salvation is not based on good works, but it always produces good works. The gospel of grace creates love for others, especially those who need it the most. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Brothers and sisters, let us not give in to false brothers and false gospels, not even for a moment, but where there is the true gospel, We have true brothers with whom we form true partnerships to share the exact same gospel with those who need it most and serve needy people with the love the true gospel creates in us so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Let's pray together.
Lord, we're so thankful that, that Paul and Titus and Barnabas didn't back down. They didn't give in even for one moment. They said, no, that's a different gospel. We're not going there. I love you, but no. Thank you. Because that has paved the way so that the truth of the gospel is alive and well right here. It remains with us. I pray for anybody here who has not yet received the true gospel. That Jesus is enough. What He did on the cross is enough. It's the finished work of Christ. Jesus paid it all. I don't have to go back and make up for it. He paid it all. All I have to do is trust in it. It's by grace we're saved through faith. Would you work in somebody's heart right now to believe the gospel of grace? Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. I pray, Father, that we would believe that and defend it. That we wouldn't add anything to the gospel. We would defend the true gospel and not give in even for a moment to another kind of gospel. And that we would share it with others. That we would leave from here with this gospel of grace on our lips and share it with those who need it most and do it in tandem with others. Dividing up the work, but not dividing up the church. Would you do that, Lord? Thank you for the gospel of grace. We pray that we would remain in it. And we pray it in the name of Jesus, of whom this gospel is all about.